Welcome, one and all, throughout time and space for this episode of Weebs on the Weekends, the podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look on an anime that premiered 10 years ago. Today's episode, we will cover the third week of October 2022, in which we will continue our voice actor highlight spotlights on Yuki Kaiji, where he takes on the role of Satoru Asahina in the 2012 anime franchise Shin Sekayori, also known as From the New World. We will also give our thoughts on whether this franchise deserves to be resurrected or it needs to be remained buried, in which we will call it Rebury. And my name is Sam Martinez. I am a part-time weeb, full-time automail mechanic, and with me as always is my co-host Jay Johnson, part-time weeb, full-time Daigaku Kansara. Now, Jay, I know you mentioned earlier that uh, so far our anime that we've been following this month of October 2022 has been wildin'. How has it been wildin' on your part? Yeah, especially with, like, we talked about, like, the five anime that we had anticipated for this season. But I was not expecting myself to get reabsorbed into the My Hero Academia craze because, you know, it's entered its, well, in the manga, it's in its final arc. But right now it's going through its war arc. And there is a, I was, like, just contemplating how Horikoshi has written the series. And it's just taken me by surprise how bloody it is now. It's like. Heroes are losing arms. They're just bleeding out. They're killing people. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, not like not going to be spoiling anything, but it's just like, like you said, it's it, it's war. Who? Good God, yo! But it's not like shonen fluffy war. Like, oh yeah, of course the bad guys survived that blow to the head or something. It's like everyone just happily went to prison. <laughs> no, it's like yeah, people are getting bodied left and right, but cuteness coming from or continue to come from a spy family with Anna getting Anya getting her new dog and that's kind of been in all the promotional stuff and it was teased mm-hmm. during the first core uh the to your attorney season two is coming up this week so adding another anime to my list oh my goodness all all of the feelings are about to be thrown in the air <laughs> exactly uh the uh, Witch of Mercury's fifth episode premiered this uh, week and super mm-hmm. on board with this whole Gundam franchise now. And I want to go back and check out Iron Blood Orphans, even though it has nothing to do with the timeline. But I'm like, oh, this is what Mecha fans feel when it comes to like good Mecha or, you know, good Gundam. And Blue Lock wants me to, wants me to get into soccer, <laughs> just like how IQ <laughs> wanted me to get into volleyball. So it's been really just like a lot of good, wholesome anime. Even though I talked about opening up with like bloodshed and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm enjoying my time. And Chainsaw Man is dope, <laughs> dude. When Power shows up and just kills the sea cucumber demon, <laughs> yeah, blood bending like on the hype. This is what blood breading <laughs> is, Katara. So you need to start packing some hammers down. But yeah, love that they explored like just how degrading Denji's life has been up to this point. Is that this man just mm-hmm. wants? To sit on a toilet, fall asleep, eat some toast, and grab some boobs. And it's like, exactly. Man, that's relatable. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And I remember, like, I was talking to, like, a lot of my families, and I can't, can't remember if I've talked to you as well that, that were um, into anime, because after, like, Chainsaw Man dropped, like, I had forgotten just how 
big the storyline of Denji having to settle up a debt that his father had accrued, you know, how it was a big proponent to the story. And it reminded me as like, we just saw something like this in Squid Games. It's like, how bad is personal debt from loan sharks over there in, you know, the uh, the Asian cultures, right? Because you got uh, Squid Games with South Korea and then you have Chainsaw Man with Japan. And they're not the only stories that mentioned debt being a huge thing. Because I think even in Liar Game, correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, but didn't Liar Game have to deal with people who had debts as well, but they were just given money? Right. And the most recent Tamadachi, Tamadachi game as well. So yeah, there's a lot of, even um, The Gambler. Yes, yes, that's right. So it, like I said, it just seems to be a big thing, like a big uh, stake in the anime genre. So it's just like, and you know how sometimes art imitates life, so it's sort of like, how bad is debt over there? Is like, is it is this really just for entertainment, or is are they just trying to t- say something? You know, just a little bit like that. But um, when, when you when you had mentioned Blue Lock, right? I um, it, it's funny because with Blue Lock, they take I think we've mentioned this before, but like they take the uh, team aspect of soccer out of the equation and they mainly focus on what's known as or what is like the uh striker uh position or i guess like if you think about like super uh basketball terms like it would be you know like the superstar of the team right basically the one person that can carry the team a little bit to give them that extra edge like the kobe or lebron that sort of thing and it's just so wild seeing something that takes a team sport that's supposed to be, you know, team centric and just make it all about one individual. And it was just very interesting, like how they deal with it. And you've mentioned it before that it sort of uh, gives you like a psychological um, thing in regards to like how they draw certain scenes and you like you're starting to see it and I'm I'm ready for it and oh man I'm so ready for bleach because like a fight's about to happen and everything's been clean and it's just oh it's been a good month Jay <laughs> <laughs> yeah so far like for the two weeks that we've had in October but yeah it's like it's good eating and I think the only downside to all this is that when we get to our best of the year in a couple of episodes that we can't really include some of these choices because we've only watched like, well, we, we will have watched only six episodes of a season. There was some strong contenders, um, the winter and spring season of this year. So I'm, I'm very looking forward to that conversation. Yeah. I'm ready to get onto the news. Can we get into some news, Sam? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead. Let's get into the news. All right. As always, the time codes are going to be in the description down below. And for listeners across the YouTube spectrum and on our platforms, audio platforms, there's going to be two separate versions where you'll get to see some juicy memeage and visual hilarity on our YouTube channel. And for our Spotify listeners, you can just listen to our beautiful voices. But starting off with our new segment is that Tokyo Revengers is wrapping up in five chapters so as the publication is going on or ongoing right now that means that it has a definitive end date of november 16 2022 so just a month out basically so this 
uh, is concluding the final arc, which started back in June. And the anime just started in 2019, even though the manga started in 2017. So it's a very short run for a very highly acclaimed series. So there's only 29 volumes as of right now. So we'll be closing up with 30 volumes. So kind of like the perfect readable link to it. And the funny thing is that we've already covered two of the arcs out of the five. So coming up in... Coming up in winter 2023 will be the winter showdown arc or yeah. And that's the third arc before we get into the Tenji Ko and final arc. So there's only five arcs in total. We've gone through the first arc as well as bloody Halloween. So even the manga's ending and the anime only has roughly three more uh, 12 episodes. So only 36 more episodes of Tokyo Revengers. So Sam, does that make you sad? A little bit, but it's sort of it, it it's sort of understandable, right? Because like with this premise, if it was extremely long, it would be annoying, mainly because of me the main character. So, I this this is actually this is actually what's it called? It's it's not surprising, and I'm actually kind of glad that it is uh mid in term in length uh as it's going to be right because it again if it was any longer it would it would do a disservice to what the story is right for sure and this is one of the few mangas i've actually picked up from where the anime left off and read up to the current issue and i'm very supportive of it closing off where it is and how the story had progressed because it just feels so tightly woven together with you know, again, the whole premise of it is a time travel story, so it feels very looping inside of itself, which all good time stories do, that they loop inside themselves, so it makes sense all around. And it's done it well, and I'm just looking forward to it. But yeah, we can move on from that, because that's just short. The saddest news, following up uh, <laughs> some happier news in the news this week. So, as we are both big project uh, IG fans they are animating a manga series called heavily delusion next year and this is a sci-fi mystery adventure story the seinen genres ran for seven volumes so far and basically the premise is the world has been devastated by some kind of natural uh well it's unclear if it's natural or man-made but basically the world has been divided in two where there is a safe haven called heaven and we look at one inhabitant of the safe haven which is like run by like uh auto what is that word for robots the the better oh, automatons automatons and raising this young girl who is our main focus but then there's a boy maru who is on the outside and he's basically in search of this heaven and it's wild that there's only seven volumes of this so far and IG was just like, yep, we need to start animating this immediately because <laughs> they only have enough materials for one season or 12 episode season right now. Yeah. So it's just wild that um, production IG is taking like a head start on this. So does this catch your interest at all? I really like the visuals of what, what they gave and it gives a more, it gives a Jujutsu Kaisen cross with a, uh, sci-fi uh feel to it and 
I would say like when you also mentioned the summary, it reminded me of a movie uh, that came out. It was either this year or last year where we were, uh, it, it was a Netflix uh, uh, release where you follow this female character. She was raised by automatons, but I can't remember if she was like the last human or something else like that, but she was in this escape that was, that only had robots and she was the only human that was there. I've I've been meaning to watch that, but it's different different from here because here it seems like they each have their own cultures. Like the one that lives inside of the wall, like it seems like there is a human civilization, and the kid that's from outside of the wall, it seems like he has his own um, human society that he comes from as well. So it will be very interesting to watch the series and to see why IG picked it up as quick as it did. Especially with with only uh, so few volumes as it has. Yeah, exactly, and even more so because the only thing on uh, production IG schedule for next year is another Fully Cooly installment, <laughs> and you know they're very selective about the properties. They basically do one anime per year, or at least two per year, but they're very selective. They're not; they don't really turn out uh, a lot of animes like other studios might do four or five potentially mm-hmm. a year. So. It's just interesting that they just chose this one out of the bunch. So, you know, it's kind of a always good sign with sci-fi writers that I, production IG is out there looking at your work and like saying, oh, yeah, you just do enough for a season of anime. Yeah, we'll pick you up. So <laughs> uh, we'll keep our eyes on this because it should release sometime in the fall next year as there is no hard um, concrete visuals besides just uh, the promotion of its mm-hmm. uh, animation going on so our next news story is that the bayonetta voice act- actor is called for a boycott of bayonetta 3 so this has been a long anticipated game bayonetta 3 i believe was yeah it was not shown at e3 about five years ago as like everyone mm-hmm. was anticipating it following the success of bayonetta 2 but the voice actor is helena taylor who has been replaced by jennifer hale as the voice actor of the main character bayonetta is bayonetta the main character's name yes i would hope so (laughs) sorry uh but it is a thing of that is the classic kind of classical dispute between a studio and voice actors that they feel that their work is being underpaid as well as the terrible conditions that voice actors have to put up because a lot of the voice acting industry is not really unionized or doesn't have the most competitive rates as well as protections as actors. Even some of the basic things of following the SAG protocols or Screen Actor Guild protocols that the most actors in the Western Hemisphere as well as Europe and Asia has abide to, the voice actor industry has not. So a lot of things have been really much in the news about the controversy that's going on around this, especially with the Crunchyroll and Funimation merger where a lot of people were expecting the Funimation hourly rates or the session rates were going to transfer to Crunchyroll since Crunchyroll had such low rates, but instead it did the opposite that all the Funimation oh, voice actors man, yeah. actually got their pay cut when the merger happened. So the game releases on October 28th, so it's coming out very soon, but I don't think you played the Bayonetta series, Sam, but this is kind of a bad series bad situation for all those involved but would you be willing to side with the voice actor in this kind of situation or you're like you don't own the voice you're not really 
that character, so you don't really have a say in the matter. Well, I, I guess, like you said, like this uh, situation with her, it's a bigger implication because it would transfer to what's going on with Funch, Funimation and Crunchyroll. I didn't realize that um, the studio, or yeah, that the, um, not necessarily the studio, but the production team that's making the video game, that they would sort of outsource like uh, their voice actor work to those uh, sorts of companies, right? I, I suppose like a couple things that was a bit confusing to me about this was when she when you know this was happening right in the beginning and you know she learned that they had chosen a different voice actor for the role why didn't she come out to you know to her fans then why is she waiting why did she wait till they had made that announcement i guess maybe just to i guess she was waiting for when her tweet would have been known the most to go back to your question it's hard to tell when or it's a hard thing to talk about like when a person owns like a specific voice i mean for instance the thing that come the person that comes to my mind is mark hamill as the joker right where he has uh done such an iconic role or such an iconic voice for the role um basically every time that you hear somebody that's not mark hamill you can tell and they're just trying to model their voice after mark hamill as their joker but then you also have somebody say like james earl jones i think it was you or somebody else that sent me a video of it where james earl jones had officially retired as the voice for Darth Vader, but he gave uh, the studio the rights to his voice so that they can use a computer to replicate it, right? So it's sort of hard to tell, you know, like in those situations, like whether or not um, this particular voice actress, whether she has the same claim to the voice as Bayonetta that james earl jones has to darth vader you know but i'm not as familiar with the franchise as you are so i would actually defer to you on whether or not bayonetta's voice is really that iconic if anything again this is somebody who's from the outside in it's not necessarily her voice but her personality that sort of sells her character right and i'm, I'm sure like the voice helps with that a lot but again like with me um that that's that's not something that i'm really that close tied to so again i would really just like to defer to your uh opinion on whether or not she has a claim to that voice much like james earl jones has a claim to darth vader's voice yeah especially and it's wild that this is coming up again around the time of the new mario trailer as well because again yeah. it's one of those things that uh, voice acting industry it's very much just get person that has a credible name and then put them in the role it's not really you know voice acting you know voice actors and physical actors or non-voice actors don't do the same job they're not skilled in the same way so you're just mm. asking someone to talk with their regular voice and if it matches all right cool because jack black is a great bowser but yes. that's because jack black does voice work in video games he's known for Oh, what was that rock and roll video game? Uh, I know what you're talking about. Um, 
where, where, where he had like an, a little axe or like a guitar that he called an axe and he used it as an axe. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I know exactly. Yeah, about. yeah. So like Jack Black is a voice actor because he is a musician or he is a mm-hmm. vocalist. Well, musician vocalist, but yeah. So like he's trained his voice to be distinctly his own, but then you know Chris Pratt just comes in and does Chris Pratt and is like reading interviews that he said like, oh yeah, I took on this role because I thought I could bring something unique to the voice of Mario and give a new Mario voice for a new generation of kids. And then you just listen to him in the trailer. He's like, that's just Chris Pratt. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, apparently he was going for a Brooklyn accent. I didn't hear it, but I've heard people say that they heard it and he didn't have a lot to say. So I'm going to wait till the second trailer to where he gets more of a speaking role to see if we do hear that Brooklyn accent. But I, I definitely understand what you're saying, though, where, you know, they just mainly go for big name actors, say, for instance, uh, The Rock in the movie Super Pets or Kevin Hart in Super Pets. I mean, Kevin, now that he's done a lot more acting work, he can do better with voiceover. But still in Super Pets with with The Rock, you're like, uh, that's still kind of him. You can hear he's doing a little bit better. But, you know, like they're not like uh, talented or trained, not say like uh, Bradley Cooper, right, where they originally hired him on because of his name. But he showed his talent. And when you listen to Rocket, he sounds completely different from his normal talking voice. Exactly. Yeah, because Bradley Cooper is, you know, he did the um, new rendition of A Star is Born, I think. But, yeah, he's a Mm -hmm. musician. He is someone that has dedicated to picking up the skill of being a voice actor so again like there's a mario the current mario voice actor wasn't called for the role and you know that's a whole nother new story and kerfuffle that we don't need to get into but yeah it's just kind of a situation where you know in in my opinion as a gamer or at least someone that has played the two first bayonetta series it's like it's just unfortunate that it happened and the role in the industry as it is now it's just not good for actors especially when people can just be imitators or can have a close enough voice that people don't notice you know the audience isn't trained to hear the difference differences in voice especially with good imitators as well as computer software and ig or not ig but ai um, production getting to a level of imitating human voice in a very realistic convincing way so it's it's going to go downhill from now on. So it's just kind of one of those new stories that signifies that, yeah, this problem is probably not going to get fixed. But uh, it's not really sad news, but yeah, it's not really sad news. But disheartening, I guess. Disheartening, yeah, that's a better word for it. Disheartening news. But on to a, basically a combined news story for these last two pieces. But the next news story is that Crunchyroll is releasing their 30-year anniversary box set for Yu Yu Hakusho. Now, last time we talked about, or at least we mentioned, the Togorashi is the producer, or sorry, is the writer of Hunter Hunter. He's also written yeah. uh, Yu Yu Hakusho, and Yu Yu Hakusho ran in manga form from 1990 to 1994 for 39 volumes, and then was animated by Studio Periot in 1992 through 1994 for 112 episodes, and I don't know where this sits in like what exposed me to my first anime. I don't know if it was Naruto or, you know, like back when I was like, oh, this is anime kind of way. But Yu Yu Hakusho still stands as one of the greats in my mind. And especially with 
the box set where it's going to be a Blu-ray also offering the OVAs, which is two shot and all or nothing, which are unadapted chapters from the manga series that didn't make it into the anime, as well as the two films, which now I'm forgetting about their two names, but the two films that came out as well. So they're shipping next year on January 31st, 2023. So Sam, is this something that you might feel the itch to buy after 30 years of Yu Yu Hakusho? Oh, no, not really. I would say I didn't really appreciate Yu Yu Hakusho until recently, within the last couple of years or so. Much like you, like I was coded or I did recognize it's like, oh, this is legit anime, uh, especially what, you know, growing up, um, catching, uh, say, like Cartoon Network or something uh, on early in the morning, right before I have to go to school where Inuyasha was playing and Yu Yu Hakusho would sort of be playing in tandem along with it. Like, I always sort of knew of it, but I didn't really take the time to sit and look back at it until recently. I uh, went through the entire series so I can watch and understand the Dark Tournament arc. And I can say, like, I now understand why everybody likes or why the why the tournament arc became standard because of how Yu Yu Hakusho did it and how they made it very, very popular. I definitely understand, like, how popular the characters became, but I am not as invested in it as some others who probably grew up with it. But I do have an appreciation for the franchise. Right, because, again, uh, you're more of... You you side more with the Hunter Hunter version of, you know... Yes. And, again, Yu Yu Hakusho was his first, you know, major publication, so he picked up a lot of things that he either did wrong or picked up or, you know, kind of smoothed over the roughness of his style. So, like, Hunter Hunter is, like, kind of the perfect child in the family i guess if you <laughs> want to call it like that but yeah it's very interesting that the box set is coming out um a little bit late because again crunchyroll is kind of taking their time with this for some reason because like even in the promotional of the announcement the final box art wasn't finalized so it is a thing of yeah we haven't really we don't know why they're not doing it proper or giving it proper justice because like the opening to the first season of Yuhaku Show, I think it is called like Cherry Bomb, is a really mm -hmm. good J-pop song. So it's really interesting that I guess I'm fanboying more about this because I'm thinking now back in my head, it's like Yu Yu Hakusho, Trigun, and Outlaw Star were kind of the animes that were like, oh, this is Seinen, not for kids. And I'm like, yay! <laughs> kind of feel of like, this is for mature audiences, but I'm just a kid watching this one. Tsunami and Cartoon Network, which leads us into the next news story. And that's why they're <laughs> kind of combined is that yes. there was somewhat of a false report. But uh, as of this moment, that Warner Brothers reports that they are not shutting down the Cartoon Network animation division. And I want to put big uh, quotations around reports because it is a matter of fact that they did drop uh, 80 staff members out of their 20 or their 200 staff members of the Cartoon mm -hmm. Network animation department. So they basically cut roughly almost 46% of the animation staff, uh, scripting staff, the storyboarding staff, the managers, directors, and animators out of a 200 functioning, 200 person uh, animation department. So mm -hmm. this is all coming about because of the merger that happened back in April from or in uh, in the Warner Brothers and Discovery merger where they basically came they bought into this by saying oh yeah we're going to cut 
$3 billion worth of projects or uh, productions. So there's been a lot of things that have been canceled throughout the year and a lot of things that are making nerds mad. So a lot of things that were dropped this year were Batgirl, Batman Cape Crusaders, which was the J.J. Abrams uh, Batman that was supposed to be in production this year, as well as news reports from like Full Frontal with Sam B, as well as Snowpiercer, which was on TNT and is going strong as their kind of main branch or main support for the sci-fi aspect on TNT. So the big hitters, or at least the places that got hit the hardest, were HBO, HBO Max, TNT, TBS, and CNN, surprisingly. So this is a wild story that still still continues to develop, but as of right now, uh, they are celebrating their 30th anniversary, Cartoon Network is, and that's kind of what the tweets were this week that, oh yeah, we're just getting old, we're not dead, but it feels very much of a smokescreen to the fact that uh, half of your animation department was gutted and people were just let go. So right now, a 24-hour, 24-7 stream is going on on the YouTube channel for um, the celebration. So the, I was watching some kid codenamed Kids Next Door. Oh, <laughs> yes. Like at work for a couple of, not a couple of hours, but it was weird, like watching um, Edit and Eddie and then Courage to Calorie Dog and like Steven Universe and Amazing World of Gumball and like, uh, back to Kids Name Co Next Door. And they were just jumping around from episodes. And it was like no no continuity to it at all. And I was really enjoying it. I was just feeling like a kid in the moment. So, Sam, have you gotten a chance to be a kid this week with some Cartoon Network shows? It, it's funny that you said that because, like, for a while, like, I've been trying to uh, go through regular show so I can watch the, the series that those same writers made uh, afterwards called uh, Close Enough. That was on HBO. So I have been, like for a while, I had been watching um, a regular show. And like just going through it, I'm just like, oh, yeah, these guys, they grew up in the 80s, right? It has like that feel where you're watching uh, Stranger Things. And you're like, yeah, I, I can tell where these guys grew up. This is like, you know, just like that influence. But I didn't realize that Cartoon Network was doing that 24 stream. I saw that they were showing some stuff um, to celebrate their anniversary but i didn't realize that they were doing that looking at this too like it sort of reminds me of when the comedian sinbad where he did that special where you been and it's just funny because he up, up to that point it's been a while since he's done anything stand up and like the first thing that he came out with was how wikipedia had killed him on yeah they, they had killed him on wikipedia and they, like Cartoon Network's tweet, it's just reminiscent of that, where it's just like when they say that you're dead, but you're sitting here looking at their news story, right? And I'm like, oh, that's what happened with Sinbad. But I think like um, you had also sent me like that message where it was like a picture of, you know, uh, Cartoon Network saying everything was fine. And then it had WB with a handgun behind him saying, tell them everything's OK, you know, that sort of thing. But as you said, like it's uh, just waiting for the situation to develop. But I didn't realize that they were doing that. So I'll uh, look back and see if I can watch some of those uh, cartoons. I probably want to go into to see uh, their 
more recently updated version of Looney Tunes because that one seemed pretty good, but I hadn't been able to watch it as I wanted to. Yeah, and that Looney Tunes, I did watch a couple episodes of that because that did pop up on the schedule. And it is so meta and like you can (laughs) tell that people that grew up watching, you know, Cartoon Network in the 90s, 2000s are animating that show because there's a lot of self I don't know, deprecating humor, but there's a lot of meta commentary about our generation, you know, like, so like Cartoon Network's been around for most of our lives. Um, cause I'm, I guess I can say I'm 31 and Cartoon Network is 30. So it's like, it started the year I was, year after I was born. So it's like pinned with me my whole life. So I was getting very emotional while watching. All right. So I will talk about from a new world because. I have always, oh, let me say this before, that yeah. time codes and descriptions are going to be in the doobly-doo below because this oh, is yeah, yeah. going up on YouTube where is our, basically our second home because Sam does a lot of wonderful memeage and just makes it such a visually enjoyable show to listen to our soothing voice, but also to do the laugh and get a little bit more information than what we can actually speak about. So yes, please follow us on our audio platforms if you want to hear about the weekly news but we're talking about from a new world because it's your pick sam and i've always only seen this through its visuals of a couple of kids one that i guess is known as the tanjiro soul world world of the reflective sand but it comes up so often in a lot of other animes and mangas like tokyo ghoul has it and a lot of other places but yeah, I've only known this as kids in a school outfits on a crystal lake, and that's it. Okay, yeah. So this this is your first exposure to it, and <laughs> now I can see why it's it's been so jarring to you. Uh, pretty much to sum up the, or at least like the premise of the first three episodes, we follow a main character known as uh what's her name uh her name is saki watanabe where she uh learns that she has psychic powers and then she goes through a ritual and she's sent off to their equivalent for the escape for xavier school for gifted children but then as she's going on through her daily life with her friends as they're um, honing in on their special abilities and trying to learn more about their world, we as the audience or as the viewer begin to realize that there is a sinister undertone to all that is going on. There are various rumors of various creatures such as a black cat of calamity or a spectral bull that uh, are talked about the children but then we talked uh, that are talked about within the children's um people group friend group and then we see the we see instances of adults sort of confirming it or confirming the various beings along those uh, levels that actually exist. So we as the audience are trying to figure out and understand this quote-unquote new world as the kids are growing up in this world. 
the uh, studio for this work is A1 Pictures. The original source for this work was a light novel series. And very much like what Jay had mentioned earlier, the genre for this series are drama, horror, mystery, sci-fi, and supernatural. It has a very psychological theme, and it is known rated R to 17+, plus for its violence and profanity. And this work can be streamed on Crunchyroll and High Dive. And to sort of talk a little bit about the characters, well, I, I just want to mention this regarding the characters before I had for, uh, forgotten, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on the characters. I know, like, there's probably not a whole lot, at least, like, for me, my, my perspective is, you know, they're still young and they're still trying to figure out what they want, but it's not like their characters had really stood out a whole lot outside of uh, them trying to understand the mystery of their world. Was there anything that's jumped out to you in regards to their characters, Jay? That is like the kind of weaker side of, you know, examining going from story yeah. to character and animation. If you're just looking at the characters, there's nothing really to really get attached to. You kind of get a sentiment that there is more intrigue in the world itself and that you as a audience member is viewing this as a child and i think you mentioned this before but there's a lot of similarities to at least in these first three episodes that i've watched is that promise neverland that yeah. suspenseful atmosphere in the characters it's like yeah it's like you kind of feel disturbed in a way you feel i think you even said it's sinister you feel like mm -hmm. not focusing on the characters is very intentional that the world is supposed to be this very unknown scary place and the characters take a very backseat to it or a backseat to it and even speaking to yuji kaiji's um, voice performance like he's mostly known for you know being aaron yeager which you know will come out next year for its 10-year mm -hmm. anniversary but yeah like his performance is just like muted and mellow it's just like nothing outstanding with anyone really and like when you show off their powers or like oh they're just gifted kids they all have the same type of ability it's all like telekinesis essentially it's all something cognitive so mm -hmm. and when they make friends they're talking about very casual things they're not really talking about the world itself yet they're just kids but they're the world around them that they're talking in feels very unwelcoming to them as kids so it's like a lot of it is just sensory and emotion that you're like oh these kids don't know what's going on and that's when it gets you that's when whatever <laughs> is behind the corner or under the bed gets you so i think it works well that the characters are kind of not blank slates but in the same way as you don't really know the kids in uh, friday the 13th or is that where mm -hmm. freddy krueger is friday the 13th no 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 that's nightmare um, on elm street oh nightmare on elm street yeah like so the characters are just like archetypes they're like cardboard cutouts with some kind of depth to them but mm -hmm. you know something sinister is at foot so when they start going you still feel bad for the kids but yeah the characters do take a backseat to the animation and to the world yes no no definitely and i, I as you said like it's it, in, in most cases like it wouldn't be good but like in this case it works out well as you said because the kids are blank slate i like that they do that because you learn with the kids about the world and it's natural. It's not like you're getting this exposition dump. You are 
on this mysterious journey along with the kids. And because you're not a kid, like you are more worried for the kids than the kids are for themselves. So like it sort of like adds like that sort of like layer of um, psycho uh, psychology, psychological thriller as well. And just to go like to talk a little bit about the animation, because I know we definitely want to get into the story. I so wanted to save the story for last so that we can, you know, sit and divulge on that a little bit. But in regards to the animation, as you had mentioned earlier, we've uh, seen several other A1 Pictures anime more recently, Magi. And I wanted to pick your brain on what different, did you see any differences between the two animation styles? Uh, do you think that they were comparable to each other? Oh, wow. That is like <laughs> comparable. Uh, that's funny because <laughs> Magi is so shonen, it hurts your eyes. And this is so <laughs> beautiful. And I kind of talked about this. It feels like the movie that we reviewed this year. I hope it was this year, but it's the, uh, uh, fireflies in the forest the hotoru hotoru i mori hotoru i no mori mm -hmm. and just so much detail it hurts that just <laughs> hurts that goes into like perspective camera movement cinematography background design how this kids move and like just like just cell by cell and frame by frame you just want to stop and just look at it so it's just a work of art <laughs> and i say that in a very <laughs> odd way because the world is very dull it's like something yeah. has drained the life out of the world but everyone's so happy go lucky kind of but and i think again it just plays into why the story is the strongest part of the first three episodes particularly because the world is so beautiful or is it <laughs> kind of thing and <laughs> Again, like looking at how, you know, a studio does their work, they bring in, you know, artists that are proficient in a certain uh, atmospheric kind of development to match the theme. So, yeah, Mayu was just shown in poppy colors and highlights and neon colors and brightness. This is just go see this just for the visuals. You don't even have to listen to the story or read the dialogue. It's just visually stunning. No, I'm, I'm glad that you gave the description that you did because I know that, like, as I'm watching this, very much like you said, like, there is a stark contrast between this and Maggi. At first, I'm like, this feels so old. It's like, uh, one, one of the things that we used to talk about earlier in the show is like, you know, whether or not the animation holds up. And I'm sitting here, I'm watching this, I'm like, this feels like it's older than 10 years. And I'm like, why is that? It came out the same year as Moggy, and we saw like how bright and poppy the colors were, how smooth the animation was. And the animation is very smooth in this too, but it has to deal with what you said as well about like the tones, the somberness of everything, how everything is dull. I really liked what your comparison was, how it seemed as though like the life from the world itself was sucked away, right? Like, and it just adds to the story itself alongside that. So it's very much intentional to the story that they want to tell. And I guess the question or the quick follow up question would be, I guess, like in terms of, you know, having somebody again, like the biggest comparison that I had is like watching Moggy today compared to like 10 years ago, like it seemed like it was within the time, like nothing really changed. But with this, 
it's more of a directional it's intentional that it's supposed to look dull and it's supposed to look like this do you feel as though that that's going to bother somebody say a few years from now like when they're sitting and they're trying to watch this do you feel like that 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 they're going to be able to grab onto that or do you think that they will think that this work is too old that it won't be worth their time oh for sure that's a great point because while you were talking i was like oh that's probably the problem people have with grave of the fireflies is that Mm -hmm. that's one of the first deal ghibli um, productions but if you compare that to what they did recently with like the wind rises like 30 years difference between those two releases it's like grave of the fireflies is like one of the greatest greatest anime movies ever created and people yeah get desensitized or they just get used to a certain medium and animation style and we kind of talk about that with the oscars that they think animation equals childish childishness when there's like horrific animes out there like let's see devil man cry baby but doro Hidoro. yeah (laughs) oh yeah yeah even that yeah lizard eating head guy but yeah it's very much in that vein of they perfect it or they like kind of rounded the edges of a very old art style like from the 80s and yeah 80s and early 90s i would say so yeah people are not going to be adherent to watch this because they're like oh this old anime this looks like something my grandpa used to watch but it's kind of just one of those downsides to animations that perfect an art style and it's not the modern sensibilities towards an art style I, I can see where the intrigue would be, like you said, like, oh, this is uh, somebody that can see like the older generation watch. Like maybe there's, you know, it'll have like that sort of interesting thing to it where it's like maybe it's something good. Like I know I got that very talking about like what we had said earlier in the news, how I was watching, uh, how I would caught, catch glimpses of Yu Yu Hakusho and Inuyasha in the morning before school. It's like because it had like that older distinct art style, but yet it was still being played on the tv like it got me interested it's like maybe there's something about this show that i don't know about yet it's like there's got to be some reason why it's on the tv you know like that sort of thing but now we can talk a little bit about the story um aspect and as we had mentioned earlier like it seems like everything has been written for and trying to support the story that is uh, shin sekayori and I know you have a lot of thoughts. Was there anything in particular that you wanted to address first? Well, with the three episode test specifically, because, you know, you're kind of looking at the first episode always sets up the backstory. It Mm -hmm. sets up the characters and sets up usually like the core of the mystery or the premise, like what's going to carry you through with the episodes. And just comparing this to like, what it reminded me of watching the three episodes was Promise Neverland, which we mentioned before, but also last year's uh, Tunnelist uh, Nana, which was about a powerless girl, if you want to call her quirkless, going to a high school of super gifted kids with S rank abilities and her as a non, you know, powered person going into the school to kill kids. <laughs> so I want to talk about the killing kids in this show part yes and maybe not killing kids but making kids disappear so uh let's start there how would you like to talk about disappearing kids oh my goodness like because episode two it's literally called the disappearing kids and it's just 
because like it also it like it just goes into like that sort of sinister nature and the show does it very well because at the beginning of every episode you sort of get this flashback of um timeline of the world right in the beginning of the first episode we get a flashback to something that we would consider as modern day or uh towers skyscrapers things like that and we see a kid uh sort of bust out of his bust out of the car that he was in and something's obviously wrong but it seems like he's having an akira or I'm, I'm trying to remember the movie that um he's having an akira or a chronicles moment right where like he is obviously he's just gifted with telekinesis and just basically wrecks everything or at least it's implied that he is because it cuts straight to uh saki's um world and then in episode two we get a flashback to a thousand years before her time where we follow this emperor that just can't bite into power and is abusing his people and you know is saying that he'll kill the first hundred people that stop clapping for his coronation and you see people burn in the audience and you you also get uh something else about like an assassination attempt in episode three but you know just just the point that i'm trying to make is like you get this flashback right of sort of akin to what we said in one piece where it's like there is this uh gap or like this sort of void uh timeline where we where um we're intrigued to figure out like what happened to that world what's going on in that world and we begin to learn a little bit of some of the rules where saki her parents sort of her parents are trying to reassure her that her um getting her powers so late it's okay but like they uh, slip up and they say something that causes her to be curiously concerned where it's like um, so something along the lines of like, oh, it was very fortunate or uh, something along those lines where it's like that she had gotten her powers. And she's like, what do you mean by that? And the parents quickly try to brush it off. And then, then we see her overhearing them saying that uh, like hearing her mother say, it's like, I like Sorry, we, we see her flashback to a time where she didn't have her powers and she overhears her parents um, sort of worrying, talk, talking to each other. And the mother's like, I don't want to lose any more kids, right? Whereas up until that point, we're assumed that Saki is an only child. And then we even see her in her new school. Uh, there is a sixth member in the core group that was mentioned earlier where she's not as strong as the others as you said they're doing these esper tasks where they're lifting things they're making art out of sand and she's not doing as good of a job and then she just stops showing up to school one day the kids thought that she was sick but then they never talk about her again and then they have uh that competition where they are using their powers to move this boulder from one end to another and they run into a team that sort of cheats where apparently one big rule in that uh, society is is that you can't use your powers on something or against uh somebody else like say if i'm lifting if i'm levitating a pencil you're not supposed to use your power to try to make my pencil go down. 
because the clash of powers would do something to the reality around us. There is suspicion that there was a kid that was cheating um, in this competition, making their uh, team uh, win uh, the tournament or progress as far in the tournament as they did. And the kids were a little upset that the team wasn't called out for cheating. But guess what happened the next day? Turns out the kid that was suspected for cheating was quote unquote sick. And he never showed up again. <laughs> so it's just like, it's, it's, it's just sort of weird because you begin to learn that in the society, it's like uh, people who don't have powers, they're sort of taken care of, quote unquote. And then like the people who can't really play by the rules or the people who do have powers who are the weakest among them, they're also thrown to the farm as well. So again, you know, just showing like all this very sinister um, undertones. It's just like, what exactly are they trying to do with these kids and their powers? Right. Because we know as adults or, you know, if you know anything about how history has progressed, it's really hard to see this because or to watch this anime specifically because Mm -hmm. there is so much realism to that because we know that has happened in our history it's called social conditioning is that you take a certain or indoctrination as well so yeah social conditioning and indoctrination is that you set parameters and i think they mentioned it's like the code of values or the code of conduct essentially for Mm -hmm. espers but they don't lay it out like the ten commandments they don't explain it to us as an audience they just we assume that the kids were raised knowing the ten commandments essentially so they don't need to explain it in the show but it's like yeah yeah, that kid in the second episode should have known better but he's a kid and he broke the rules but unlike you know our world where you explain to the kid what they did wrong and you you know you uh, not sympathize but empathize with them that they're still learning here they just I don't know. They get snatched. They get snatched <laughs> and turn into meat or something and then serve back to the kids. I don't know. But there is so many sci-fi stories that we know. Equilibrium comes to mind. And as well as psychopaths, the idea that right, yeah, okay. your abilities are at a certain parameters and you're allowed to operate inside those parameters. But seeing this from a kid perspective is what's really, I guess, crushing about it and what makes it so such a cautionary tale almost it feels because like you said they go through flashbacks and so how you know humanity got to this position kind of explain it kind of briefly but then mm-hmm. also you have like the narration going on a little bit from i'm assuming did it stay that 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 was adult saki doing the narration i i need to go back and watch it because like like i said there, there were so many things because like there were like you said there were narrations there were flashbacks and there were even stories that the kids had to read when they were in class. And that sort of served as, as you said, cautionary tales. But then again, like with all the stuff that we've seen, it's like, is it for real or is it really just a cautionary tale? But like, just to go back, back, back to your point about the narration, I honestly, I, I had forgotten that there was a narration that was going on. So I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I, it's if, if, very yeah. brief. It's very sparse because, again, I think it's one of those things of, you know, we're looking through Saki's Saki's memories yeah. and like her, how she saw it as a child. I think we talked about this before. I can't believe, was it the other 
weirdly dystopian future with elves that kind of did something similar to this oh uh humanity has declined yes humanity has declined and you know this has so much similarities to that weird that we're talking about these two dystopian futures with psychic powers and powerful creatures going on because we haven't even mentioned the queen rats yet in the second episode so did that strike you as a odd introduction at all Oh, just like the random uh, uh, mutant rats that they run into on along the water. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I would say, like, again, like we're we're experiencing the world as, as along with the kids, and like uh, as you said before, like the kids, like they do, like you said, they know like the Ten Commandments, right? So like they know that there are certain creatures out there. So it's like they're like, oh look, it's it's a mutant rat, and we're like, what mutant rats? And like it's so like we're like, okay, they knew about this, but. I I I think this is what you were talking about with the uh narration because now 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 I remember it like they were there I remember there was somebody I can't remember if it was her or if it was like their teacher in class but like I, I think it was a narration where they were saying how with uh the rats they treated anybody with powers they treated them as a god uh they weren't sure whether or not um uh, they they didn't want the rats around the kids because they didn't realize they didn't know if like the loyalty that the mutant rats have it was if it was a true loyalty or if it was a false loyalty right. Whereas like with a with an adult the rat won't be able to trick them or anything else like that. But like with a kid who is still naive they are still susceptible. Um, it was interesting, but I it definitely did lay the groundwork for what happens. Uh, I believe in episode four, or episode five, uh, with the kids. So like, it seems like it was. It seems like it was uh very shocking, but I mean, <laughs> it a, a a splash in the pan on you know like oh hey there there are other creatures out here besides just these uh kids with um psychic powers in this world. And so it definitely does make you more intrigued. But you said that it felt very random uh, to you or out of pocket. I, I don't know because technically in that second episode, she also violates like what you were saying. Like she violates the code of conduct essentially by interacting with that creature or by saving it because it's in distress, of course. But then it goes into like the third episode and we get introduced to another creature <laughs> At yes. the end of the third episode, who, you know, basically is a, I don't know if a MacGuffin is the right word, but it's basically a piece of information that leads into the fourth episode. Again, mm -hmm. not to spoil the three episode test that we would give a ruling on, but I did watch the fourth episode. And boy, howdy, should the fourth episode be the third episode. Because <laughs> in the third episode, they're just telling ghost stories. And again, it's like one of those things of, sitting you down on a child's level is like this is what kids do they tell ghost stories even yeah. at my school we don't celebrate halloween for the bad or the the impression that telling ghost stories can you know infect people or infect kids specifically about mm -hmm. superstition things even though they're in a world of magic essentially you know mm -hmm. technology if you want to talk about if it's technology or magic but whatever but yeah, it's just wild that in the first three episodes that it's so understated how aware the children are of the world and it just plays into that at the end of the t third episode. I would say like it, I, I love like when you mentioned like kids being kids because it sort of reminds me like like during that um, the ghost story scenes we had 
uh, Yuki Kaiji's character where he's saying his ghost story and the kids are like, hey, that doesn't make sense. And he's like, well, you know, you're right. And then like he changes his story and he keeps on going. <laughs> and the kids are still there listening to him. So it's, 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 it's just pretty funny like how they did that. But I would say like it also, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm just like thinking in One Piece now because we, we had mentioned One Piece, but like the character or the, the creature that they run into, it reminds me of a polyglyph, right? In One Piece, right? So like that random piece of information. And like for me, it the creature's like, hey, I'm basically a walking, talking library. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I want to know more about the world. So like the kid is going to, you know, ask about the world. And that's uh, at least like for me, that that would keep on going. Um, but I, I hadn't seen uh, episode four uh, in, in a while. And I didn't want it to sort of impact my view on the first three episodes. So in terms of the uh, three episodes and, and the three episode test, it would be a pass for me very much from what you had said earlier, how the characters and the animation like the art all of it is just um supporting the story and the story seems very very strong and it seems to suck you in very very much but um jay did you have any other final thoughts that you wanted to give before we get your take on the three episode test and uh, whether to resurrect or rebury nothing left remains because it's just like one of those mm -hmm. Oh yes, well, I'm, I mean, I'm going to say what I'm going to resurrect or rebury soon, but yeah, it's just weirdly succinct with everything, and for three episode test to work so well here, I, th I mean, I watched the fourth episode, so obviously it works well, <laughs> but yeah, closing the third episode with like kind of introducing children to this well of knowledge, essentially, and it's again like the whole stand by me kind of find a dead body behind the tree kind of adventure story <laughs> is just very odd in this kind of setting. Yeah. So I've never seen another story like this. And I've seen, I've seen like parallel stories. I think I mentioned Trigun earlier, like mm -hmm. tackling uh dystopian future with psychic power. Same thing with psychopaths, a power system and parameters for people to behave inside of it, as well as promise Neverland with that, shocking first episode so i think it's doing everything right but yeah we can go into the three episode and final decision so as i said before the uh three episode test for me i would say that it had passed and as far as resurrection and reburying and i don't know if it's because it's just spooky month or <laughs> because of how well like the story is well done i would say i would give it a resurrection because very much of like all that we have said before and uh, I'm just intrigued and I want to finish the series now all that much more so I can see whether or not like it's truly worth that. But like from what I've seen, I definitely would give it a resurrection. But Jay, what about you? What are your thoughts on uh, the three episode test and on resurrecting or reburying? Yeah, so we always determine that like mm -hmm. distinction between of what we're watching in that season, which this <laughs> is the most heavily compact season of probably the last two years of anime that I've watched. So it's really hard to say like if it's worth, you know, watching now, but I definitely want to finish it. So mm -hmm. based on that parameter of, I definitely want to watch it, but I don't have time. I'm going to <laughs> resurrect it because Man, I think we sold it on the world, or we talked enough about the world itself. It's just so intriguing, and 
the flashbacks just aid in that of what was the downfall of humanity or how has going back to other anime how has humanity declined it's just like wow yeah people are just shitty <laughs> i guess <laughs> and superpowers this is the my hero academia world essentially if everyone got professor xavier how broken the x-men psychic powers are now just yeah. add that to i think they mention it, it was like 0.1 percent of the population at the time oh, but if that's yeah. a thousand years are right now are now modern times and that's what seven what that's 70 thousand people or seven hundred thousand seven hundred thousand people yeah, like so. think, think about it, like that that's like each of those persons could probably have the potential to do something as terrible as like what happened in akira or like you said uh the x-men right they could potentially be an omega level mutant just like just like that alone in those numbers like it's enough to change the entire world within uh a few weeks or a month or so yeah and it's not something that they have to train oh it doesn't look like that it looks like their powers or at least as they were when they flash back is that they're at full maybe potential as soon as they get them and yeah. even that small thing that you talked about with the parents conversation is like oh what happened to kids that don't have powers or what happens to kids that are too powerful or what happens like it's just like what's going on with these kids <laughs> going missing it is so where are unnerving. they going it's actually if i'm going to be completely honest it's actually a mm. little bit more terrifying than made in abyss which is like one of my favorite animes of all time because oh that's 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 some praise right there right because you know kids in that show are going into a dangerous area and they can be eaten they can be worse than eaten but in mm -hmm. this it is so disturbing just to see not even see the kid disappear it's just like every adult just acting like they never existed and that's just terrifying so parents maybe don't watch it <laughs> parents don't need to watch this kids don't need to watch this if you're childless in your 30s maybe it's for you but i'm definitely going to resurrect it I would say I would also give like one whether the caveat too because I remember there was one scene that I had seen later on in the series I don't know if uh, because he had mentioned that there was sort of a disturb disturbing scene that happened in the show but I know that uh, there is something that the kids do or they they were taught to do whenever they are in a stressful situation and it makes you feel unnerving because they're kids and the coping mechanism that they do in order to get through the stressor of the situation. But I would say that one of the kids is self-aware enough to be, to realize it's like, Hey, this isn't the thing that I need to do to get out of the situation. Right. It's like, this was sort of put in place to make sure that I don't necessarily fight back. And you, you see them come to that realization and actually try to get out of their situation. So, uh, j j you know, all that is to say is that we don't know what we don't know. So just keep that in mind, even though we both had resurrected it. And as you said, like uh, parents, maybe not watch this or if you're going to if you're if your kids are thinking about watching this, watch this before they do, before you give them that ruling of saying that they can watch this um but yeah no so that was our uh thoughts on 
this wonderfully psychologically thrilling franchise known as From a New From the New World or Shinsekayori, where we had mentioned uh Yuki Kaiji's uh work and uh yeah. So Jay, do you have any other uh closing thoughts or closing um uh remarks in regards to this before uh we uh wrap things up? Uh I'm glad that you put this on the list because I mean right now, just as a three episode test, I'm highly impressed and if it does wrap up in the way that I think, because again, oh I guess I have to give a little um actually real quick that uh, it's not a. It's not based on a light novel. It's based off a novel. Oh, novel. Okay, my apologies. Yeah, yeah. it's it's very interesting because like the author, which oh my gosh, I can't remember his name, but it has won multiple awards in horror and mystery for his novel series. So it's just like oh, amazing yeah. that uh, A One Pictures was like, oh, let's pick up this when you know they have done scary scary stuff in the past before, but the manga came out as the anime was premiering. So it's just very interesting in that this is one of those situations of a novel going directly into an anime and then the manga mm-hmm. coming out sequentially with it. So it's just wild that this actually might become one of my favorite anime. So I might have to talk about <laughs> that in, in the next year when I finish watching this. Um, I just looked up his name uh, as you were talking about him. His name is Yuke, Yusuke Kishi. And apparently he's also known for a series called the crimson labyrinth so i may want to look into that to see if that has been made into an anime as well but um no it's it's very interesting that you had said that you know he was known for that sort of thing uh because let's see according according to the wiki wikipedia it says he's a member of the mystery writers of japan and there's also a club that he's a part of like the hongaku uh, mystery writers so <laughs> no wonder he got me with the mystery it seems like he knows enough people to write good mysteries so i'm i'm very excited i'm glad that you enjoyed it as much as you did and i'm gonna try to be with you on this uh road to finish it and we would definitely give our thoughts on uh whether or not or on um what we really think about the series as a whole again that was our thoughts on the first three episodes of shin Sekayori. And that was a pass for both the three episode test and a resurrection from the both of us on this fantabulously frantic, uh, frantically a uh, thrilling work. And I would say join us next time as we conclude our year as well as our voice actor spotlight on Yuki Kaiji as we review the magically unfamiliar yet familiar anime that's based on an English classic that is known as Blast of Tempest. Now, Jay, with that, what have you got for us today? All right. So I haven't done any literature reviews in a while or, you know, talked about passages and writing before. So the title of the anime that we just talked about from A New World actually comes from a music piece or a musical composition of classical music from, oh, I can't remember the composer's name, but it is Symphony Number no. 9. It's a Symphony Number no. 9. So even though like it has a root and that music does play out through the series, or at least in the first three episodes, I thought there was more parallels between A Brave New World, which is a very classical piece of literature. So 
this is my favorite passage and probably the passage that most people have heard of if they haven't read A Brave New World. So the passage goes as such. All right, then, said the savage defiantly. I'm claiming the right to be unhappy, not to mention the right to grow old, ugly, and impotent, the right to have syphilis and cancer, the right to have too little to eat, the right to be lousy, the right to live in constant appreciation of what may happen tomorrow, the right to catch typhoid, the right to be tortured by unspeakable pains of every kind. There was a long pause. I claim them all, said the savage at last. 